Welcome to Able Active Moms. Jeremy Brown and his guests are here to help the struggling moms better understand and manage their time for personal health. Now here's Jeremy. Hi, and welcome back to this week's episode of Able and Active Moms. I am your host, Jeremy Brown, and this week we are talking about the lifespan of bone health. And to help me and all the listeners understand bone health and its impact on our fitness and wellness and the lifespan of our bodies. I have Dr. Deborah Cotto, a professor of medicine with Stanford University School of Medicine. Uh, Dr. Cotto, thank you so much for joining us today to share your knowledge. Well, thank you, Jeremy, for inviting me. Absolutely. I'm so excited. Uh, as I was putting together the podcast, actually, We'll, we'll backtrack a minute for a quick shout out. Um, I was putting together the podcast and trying to come up with things I wanted to talk about. And the podcast is about the lifespan of fitness and particularly from the perspective of the person running the family, running the household, which is often the mother and how you need to take care of yourself and your own fitness and your wellness and how then that helps to helps you to provide a space for your children and your parents and your loved ones to all also be fit and active. So that was the that was the thing. And I remembered that a couple of years ago, I read an article and came across some information from Society of Women's Health Research on the topic of the lifespan of bone health. And I follow them because I do a lot of work in women's health and pelvic health. And so I reached out to Society of Women's Health Research and thank you to Monica for um, reaching out to you and arranging all of this. And um, so you are in some way affiliated or do work or research with Society of Women's Health Research, SWHR? as well? Uh, yeah, about at the same time frame that you said, they actually reached out to me to serve on a multidisciplinary, meaning people who are physicians and other allied health people and, and, and public health, um, nutritionists, physical activity specialists, and patients themselves who are affected by osteoporosis to convene a panel to really discuss bone health over over a lifespan. And so that's how I know of them. And they're a terrific group supporting women's health issues since I think the 1980s or so, maybe 70s. I'm not sure. Wow. Fantastic. Um, yeah. So that's a great research uh, resource for everyone if you'd like to look into that. And that gets into a, so a question that starts off our podcast today. Um, bone health. It's like a simple term, but maybe not so simple a definition if we want to really unpack what it means to someone and their wellness and their physical wellness. So how would you define or give parameters to bone health for a patient, for someone who wants to be more active and more fit from a greater span of their life? Well, that's a great question. Uh, I must say that prior to becoming an osteoporosis expert, I thought of the skeleton as something that had to do with Halloween, very dry topic, not interesting. But in fact, uh, my research and my patients have then uh, since uh, led me to be better informed that the skeleton is a major organ of our body. It provides multiple functions, including uh, protection and structure for all those other uh, internal organs that we have. It allows us to be mobile. Um, it actually provide, uh, is a source of our uh, bone marrow and our blood cells. So it's extremely important. And um, generally, it's kind of like breathing in that we don't really think about it until there is a problem. And so it kind of grows naturally as we get older um, and then mature into adulthood. And then uh, we lose uh, bone as uh, we get into our older years. And that's when it becomes more fragile and of concern uh, to people when they start breaking their bones. Absolutely. That's definitely when it starts to be on everyone's radar. 
Right. And, and at a point where people have already stopped thinking of it as being this really like thriving, vibrant part of their, of their whole system and supporting so many different physiological, um, parts of day to day life. And instead it started to be, uh, they think, start to think about it at the point where it's becoming fragile and frail and something to worry about and not so much something that you have confidence in or, that you feel is a really robust part of your system. Right. So as we um, are born and and develop and then age, uh, uh, the cells in our skeleton are quite active. And um, the two major cells are bone formation cells called osteoblasts and then bone resorbing cells called, uh, called osteoclast. So during development, when we're growing, the osteoblast or bone forming cell is much more active than the bone resorbing cell. And then around um, still what I consider earlier age, but say 30, 35, the balance of the activity of these two cells uh shifts uh, so it's more um, equal and then particularly for women as they hit menopause then the osteoclast or bone resorbing cell becomes more active and that's what leads to bone loss and bone fragility um, particularly if one should have any trauma like falling down and then there's a third type of cell that just in the past 20 years has been m- most uh, interesting, and that's the osteocyte, which is kind of part of the skeleton. And it actually probably plays very important biological functions, but scientists to this day are still understanding better how it all re- works, which is kind of amazing because our skeletons have been around and we've been around for centuries. And the fact that we're just starting to understand uh, how everything works now is, is almost mind-blowing to me. <laughs> yeah, the, I, when we, the, the deeper we go into the body, the more we realize that we don't know. Really yeah. incredible pieces of engineering. It, it's really amazing. Yes. It's so beautiful. Um, and, and we're going to, in a moment, well, the next thing we get to is sort of start from childhood and work our way all the way piece by piece through step by step, stage by stage, all the way through to end of life and bone health and kind of how we should think about our bodies. But I guess first bone mass, bone health, um, there are a lot of factors that go into bone health and bone density, nutrition, fitness. Yes. Like what, what helps us to build a healthy skeletal system throughout our lifespan? Like what are the basic factors that go into it? Well, um, Jeremy, I think you've mentioned the two major ones that, uh, which are nice because we do um, generally have some control over them. Um, the first being nutrition and diet. So what we put in our mouth, uh, mouths on a daily basis is really, really important. And um, it- it has become clearer and clearer that um, having fresh fruits and vegetables on a daily basis is super important um, for not only bone health, but overall healthy development and aging throughout a lifespan and minimizing processed foods. Um, so those foods that stay on the shelves are for many, many years are very convenient, but on the other hand, um, may not be so healthy for us uh, overall because there are a lot lots of preservatives and things that uh, our bodies may have not been uh, engineered to really understand how to process very well. And then the other is physical activity. And for bone, uh, we we know um, largely from space studies that without gravity, we do terribly. Our bones do not like being in a weightless situation. So really weight-bearing type of activities with resistance training is extremely important for uh, good development and healthy development of our skeleton. So all those schools that are trying to have the, the recesses that the kids still like so that they can go play on on the playground, absolutely essential, not only for their physical health, but probably their mental health as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Physical and mental health. Please let them burn off some energy before they come home. But this is a prime time for them to bank bone health for later in life. Right. So we tend, as I said, these bone building cells tend to be very active in earlier life. It's estimated that we can 
uh, reach uh, peak bone mass by, by about age 30 or 35. And so one can still build bone quite well with the proper nutrients and uh, physical activity. Uh, and then beyond that is when it gets a little tougher, but it's not to say that there can't be a positive effect either. So yes, I, and the nice thing about thinking about putting, you know, your efforts in earlier in life is that with menopause in particular for women, uh, we definitely lose bone. So the more money you have in the bank, so to speak, or better bone um, condition, uh, you are just starting from a better, uh, better place. Uh, so that you can afford to lose bone with menopause and maybe never run into trouble. But if you never get there, and this is a problem for a lot, a lot of our young women in particular, because there's a lot of societal pressure to be a certain body weight or to be a master athlete where there's very little body fat. And when that happens, menstruation and regular um, cycling of the hormones can be disruptive. And that has a very detrimental effect on bone. There's a whole branch of medicine that looks at women, you know, who um, have what we call amenorrhea or mm -hmm. loss of period. Um, and that's very detrimental to uh, skeletal health. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that coming again from actually excessive, ex potentially excessive exercise or um, a shift in diet into an unhealthy direction where you become too obsessed with either staying too lean for athletic endeavors or aesthetic purposes. Right? Um, yes. I think you made a very interesting point regarding nutrition, um, and that is the focus on fruits and vegetables and non-processed foods often um, when there is a talk about bone health, you hear two words basically, and those are uh, calcium and vitamin D. And I'm sure that you put some sort of priority on those, but I find it refreshing to hear a priority just on a, a structure of whole foods in general and how that supports system yes. health. Well, I think in the United States, we tend to be very supplement happy. It's something like a $40 billion a year industry. And the calcium and vitamin D supplements are not immune to that. Uh, so yes, it is clear that we need sufficient calcium in our diet as well as vitamin D. But the question is the level. And if you've been in this field as long as I have, I know that the calcium um, recommended daily um, intake has uh, actually declined over time uh, from the 1990s. So today we're at about 1,200 um, or sometimes 1,000, depending on what age you are, per day. And most Americans get about five to 700 milligrams of calcium in their diet without trying very hard. So if they're concerned about bone health, um, I generally advise my patients to try to look at those dietary sources. And it doesn't just have to be dairy. There are other, even a, a cup of broccoli can give you, uh, you know, close to a hundred calorie, uh, sorry, milligrams of calcium or a tortilla, even a corn tortilla or a can of sardines is going to get you pretty far. So um, there are other ways to uh, <clears throat> get your calcium through diet. And then vitamin D is a tough one. We definitely need the vitamin D. We know that if you're vitamin D deficient, especially if you're a kid, you can develop a condition called osteomalacia, which is basically soft bones. And these people are very prone to fracturing. But uh, our biology is pretty smart. And I think a lot of the public is aware that sunshine is good for uh, getting the vitamin D uh, you need. So yes, if you're concerned about skeleton, I still tell my patients to... Um, like a, a a small supplement of vitamin D daily is not um, is not a necessarily a bad idea, but also saying to, uh, moderation is good. That we have studies in uh, in the field of osteoporosis that demonstrate that too much vitamin D is can also be detrimental to bone health over time. Um, from studies mm. in Canada in a very uh, well-recognized and highly respected medical journals such as JAMA. 
So uh, it, moderation is good. Not just downing all your calcium and vitamin D supplements is not going to necessarily prevent fractures. In fact, our randomized controlled trials of calcium and vitamin D supplementation, and there have been many of them, and very large and well-conducted trials, are have been disappointing. So uh, for calcium, you have to get at least 26 trials together, randomized controlled trials to show a benefit of maybe just a 13 or 14% risk reduction. Whereas any of the number one osteoporosis medications, um, you're going to get a 50% reduction. Mm. So uh, to, to think that I'm going to be taking care of my skeleton by just taking calcium and vitamin D supplementation um, is probably not as good as people would like it to be. So yes, important, but not the the treatment recommendation for someone who is at high risk for fractures. And not the main thing that you look at, even as far as your diet, when you're just structuring a healthy diet, even if you are considering osteoporosis, you shouldn't bend your diet into all sorts of weird shapes to try to fit it around these, these goals. Well, yes. And this, so I'm a geriatrician by training. So many of my patients are into their ninth decade. And I learn a lot from the people who I treat. And I see them and say, wow, that example is something I want to follow. And it's not about 26 supplements that they're bringing into clinic. No, it's about the healthy diet and the access to food that they have. And the ability to be active and have goals, all of those things are, I, I consider more important to skeletal health and overall health and healthy aging than the calcium and vitamin D supplements that they take. So, um, yeah, it, it, I, you know, calcium and D is import, important and I would say are important. And I would say that my colleagues who are specialists in bone health would definitely say that. And a lot of primary care physicians will say, are you taking your calcium and vitamin D? But I'm just saying that's part of it. But if you're really at high risk of fracture, it's not sufficient. Yeah. Whole picture of this. Yeah. Well, yeah. don't fall down. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to get more and more into um, full picture as we go, you know, like how you really look at what people should be really concerned about. Uh, We are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to continue to unpack a lifespan of bone health. So keep listening. Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Move Ed is a new exercise system developed from the latest in science and designed to help you feel your body in a whole new way. Offering free online videos, live online exercise classes, and wellness tips and ideas on social media. Move Ed has options to help everyone feel and move better. Check us out today and start your new journey into physical health. Are you feeling confused by all the medical information out there? Listen to Healthy Wealthy You to learn strategies that will help you create a personal approach that finally works for you. It's you living your best life. Healthy Wealthy You with host Dr. Camille Vardy, Fridays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But don't forget to make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. Enjoying our shows and can't get enough of us? Follow us on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio and see what we're cooking up for you. Welcome back to Able Active Moms. Have a question for Jeremy or his guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5792. That's 866-472-5792. Now back to the show. Welcome back and thank you for listening in today. 
Today, we are talking all about bone health and the lifespan of bone health. And with us, we have Dr. Deborah Cotto um, with Stanford University School of Medicine. Thank you again for joining us to share all of your information today. Pleasure to be here. Wonderful. So right before break, we just kind of wrapped up talking about factors that go into developing bone health, bone density, a healthy skeletal system. Um, And those are factors that run the entire lifespan, basically. And so the takeaway for that, if we're talking about adolescence all the way up through our peak formative years into uh, through our 20s and potentially into 30 is more activity, better nutrition, get outside, get some sunshine, get your vitamin D that way, get your activity and load up some impact on your system, right? Which is pretty easy to do if you're a kid. I mean, it was helpful if your parents encourage you to be active. So all your parents out there encourage your children to be active, get them into sports, potentially things that do load their systems like running or gymnastics or dance or any of those kind of more active sports. Um, So that gets us all the way through, hopefully through the time we spend with our parents. And then we get out on our own. And as you get into your thirties, and so all of a sudden, perhaps you're not building as much bone density as you were and life maybe gets complicated. Maybe you start to build a family, you're getting into your career more, other things start to pull you away from the goals of fitness. I guess what I'd like to point out is that this is a really important time to think about things that are going to impact you later on in life. Who thinks about bone health in their 30s, right? Why? It's like something down the down, way down the path. I don't have to worry about this. But actually, it's a really valuable time because you could still be putting stuff into this bone health bank, right? We're like still kind of in peak years and we start to maybe lose focus on ourselves and the future. What do you think about yeah, that? Yeah, you're, you're talking about a tough time. You know, oftentimes people in this phase are almost the sandwich generation because they're caring for people on both sides, meaning perhaps young children as well as aging relatives, and then maybe trying to develop a career at the same time and caregiving. So there, there, there are a lot of demands uh, on people in this age range. And I guess one has to just think about what one's priorities are and health um, is something that I think maybe younger people take more for granted that it's just there. So it, you don't really, we, we abuse our bodies, you know, mm-hmm. kind of, <laughs> I mean, that they're going to rebound. Um, and I think mindful, mindfulness is good about what's important and really, and I think our, the younger generations are getting to that, you know, self-care and wellness, and it is a luxury in a certain way, but it, it's something that, is almost more of a mindset that one can do um, as much as one can, and then to be forgiving to oneself um, at the same time, um, where it, Rome was not built in a day. So if there are times where you just, you know, you're exhausted and you had all the right intentions, but you just didn't get there and you don't feel like cooking, well, and you want to do fast food, well, there is a, a you know, there's a spectrum of healthier versus less healthy fast food. And so you have choices, you know, they may be more constricted at certain times, but the idea is if you're lucky enough to survive to a later time that you'll have more money in the bank in terms of your bone health. So you don't have to have a health problem that now you have to deal with because you neglected to do so or, you know, drank, you know, five drinks a night and totally messed up your system and we're smoking because it was just so stressful. There's things that we can do to continue. Um, we might not be as good as we'd like to, but then also be okay with it, given that they're competing priorities. Yeah. Yeah. We've had a lot of discussion over the last eight or nine, 10 episodes here about grace and forgiveness and for yourself and continuing to create goals and trying to meet them as well as you can and realizing that there's you have to have flexibility mental flexibility within these things to to help you stay on track because otherwise 
everything is catastrophic, right? One thing goes off the rails and then I give up because it's never going to work. I can't do it. And it's like, no, maybe not today. You can't do it. Yeah. Come back next week. Try and pick it up again. Right. And for those, whether you're, if you're a caregiver and you model those behaviors in particular with regards to diet, it really rubs off. And so you're not only ensuring better health for yourself down the line, but you're acting as a role model for your children who you'd like to be healthy, as well as provide kind of hope um, to older people who may have thought, oh, it's too late and I can't make a change. I've always liked eating at Arby's or whatever <laughs> and, and um, beef every day. And then you you help change their behaviors. And believe it or not, even if you make changes in late life, you can see dramatic effects on your health, including your bone health. Um, for older people. So it's not as, so let's just say you went through midlife and you're now in your fifties or sixties and you're like, shoot, I missed that opportunity. <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's too late. I don't, I don't think it's too late to make those changes and be able to have meaningful impacts on your bone health. Never too late to make those changes. Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. And the, and that's, I love that focus because that actually was kind of my overall vision or art for the podcast was the idea that this person who's central to care for either end has such great influence over this full spectrum health of these people. How do we inspire ourselves and both sides to be more healthy um, in a very whole picture health of health? And as you move from 30s, 40s into 50s, often the kids become a little more self-sufficient maybe you're not trying to push your career as far. It certainly may be busy and it may take a lot of your time, but often we have more resources and a little more time and we're actually able to care for ourselves a little bit more, right? And you start to realize that it becomes more obvious that you need to care for yourself more. You get up out of bed and as soon as your feet hit the floor, you become very aware, I should probably start to do something about what's happening because some days it doesn't feel good to get up. Um, So that's a time when we should probably also shift the way we start to think about bone health, but how what's happening to us down the road, what's starting to change in our bodies that is going to affect all of our systems, including bone health. In particular, this pertains to women and the changes in menopause as we, you know, 40s yes. transitioning into 50s. Yes. So, Probably around 50 or so for men, um, depending on when women make the transition to menopause, um, just with regular aging, you might expect um, about a 1% loss per year. Um, But if you're going through the active phase of perimenopause and menopausal bone loss, it can be up to say 5% per year. So it's it's a faster rate of decline during that transition period. And then it levels off to more 1% per year uh, on average. Mm -hmm. But the current guidelines from a medical standpoint are that the gold standard for diagnosis is something called a DEXA scan, which is a bone density scan, which uh, is usually done at the lower spine and hip. And this can generate something called a T-score, which uh, lets you know where your bone health is compared to someone who's healthy at peak bone mass at age 30. And generally, that is paid for by insurance at eight, starting at age 65 when Medicare kicks in, or for a man um, at age 70 with um, health conditions. However, I would tell this audience that this particularly studies from Canada have suggested that regardless of the kind of trauma that one had, if someone has had a fracture in their earlier life, Ban, that that is enough for an indication for being at increased risk for fracturing in the future. So if you've already had, say, a wrist fracture or ankle fracture, and you're only in your 40s, you might discuss that with your primary care physician to say, you know, I wonder what my bone health is. And with that underlying condition, insurance should cover a bone density scan to see where you are so that you can get a head start on knowing what your risk might be, should be you be lucky enough to live to be 85 or 90, mm-hmm. you know, which many of us can expect to do. 
And our children who are born can maybe expect to have a century-long life. These things are changing and being proactive is certainly a good way of ensuring that you'll be one of those who get there. Yeah. We want to prepare as though that's what our future is. Mm -hmm. And that's interesting because bone health is kind of silent in a way as well, right? There are no outward signs or symptoms outside of fractures of, of what's going on with that system, but it's good maybe a decade before that, as we start to transition into later life, to start to be aware of the whole picture of our his health history, our medical history, and how that can affect us, including potentially genetic history. If your parents or grandparents have a history of severe bone loss, is that can also be contributing factors into it as well? Absolutely. If you've had a family history of hip fracture in particular, it suggests that you may yourself be at increased risk for having a fracture in later life. It has been known for at least the last 30 years that osteoporosis is a genetically inherited disease, but it's not a one gene disease phenomena. It can be caused by a multitude of different genetic predispositions. So, um, but we and the researchers and clinicians do know that there is a a hereditary component for sure. And I'd like to reemphasize something that you said um, that I think is very important, that osteoporosis as we divine it um, is more of a silent disease until the fracture occurs. And I'd also then like to add to that and say that 95% of fractures occur because we fall down. So literally your bone density could be trash, but if you never fall down and live to be a hundred, you may never have a fracture. Some lectures that I've given in the past have kind of compared uh, osteoporosis to something like blood pressure. You don't know you have high blood pressure most times unless you go get it checked. So it's similar. And we know Mm -hmm. that there are medications that can help lower blood pressure that then decrease the risk of heart attack and stroke. Similarly, um, we have medicines now, if your bone density is not good, that can help decrease the fracture by about 50%. But one thing that has to be cleared to the audience is that when I talk about osteoporosis medications, it's not a lifelong medication. It is a targeted time window for which these medications should be used to help preserve bone, increase bone density, uh, and decrease fracture risk. And what is that targeted time window? Is that an age-specific thing, or is that a measurement of bone density? Like What determines that window per per case? Yeah, it, it is individual, okay. but I would say that um, the mean age of someone having a hip fracture, say a woman, is about 81. Hmm. So, so if you're only 62 and you happen to get a bone density and it's not great, but you've never fractured, you know, you might think about that time. And um, and that's and this gives me a segue into something that I think is equally important to bone health and helps um, is to really be concerned about your muscle. And because their muscle and bone are directly anatomically opposed. And so my patients who have very good muscle strength and function, who happen to have a fracture, heal just fine. And so really concentrating on fall prevention, uh, working on balance, for example, core strength, as well as muscle strength, um, really and flexibility, for example, really helps decrease the risk of fracture and certainly improves fracture healing uh, and speed and recovery to normal function. So that's what I mean by timing. Um, Also, younger people, you know, sometimes those medications are offered, but particularly for women of childbearing age, um, you might, you know, give some thought about when and are there other things that you can do to mitigate your fracture risk? Interesting. Yes. I really like that idea that bones support muscles and muscles support bones. Right. And they are in an interwoven system, the softer tissue and the harder tissue and and the health of each is integral to the other. Um, Well, we are actually going to unpack that when we get back, but we're going to take just a quick break again. And when we get back, we're going to keep talking bone health in particular, a little bit about bone health, aging and fitness. So keep listening and we'll be right back. 
enjoying our shows and can't get enough of us? Follow us on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio and see what we're cooking up for you. Move Ed is a new exercise system developed from the latest in science and designed to help you feel your body in a whole new way. Offering free online videos, live online exercise classes, and wellness tips and ideas on social media. Move Ed has options to help everyone feel and move better. Check us out today and start your new journey into physical health. Resiliency is the human capacity to lean into individual and collective strengths with compassion and grit when faced with the challenges of lived experience. Join host Elaine miller Karras for Resiliency Within, a program of hope and healing designed to inspire you to integrate wellness into your life, your family, and your community. In challenging times, you'll want to tune in every week. Resiliency Within can be heard every Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Want to see what Voice America is up to behind the scenes? Follow us on TikTok at Voice America Talk Radio. Functional Medicine with Dr. Robbins looks at how natural healing and biological dentistry can safely and effectively treat most health problems. You'll hear about the innovations in both traditional and alternative medicine therapies with doctors and dentists, along with discussions with chiropractors, medical experts, homeopaths, naturopaths, and energetic healers. It's great to have all the best information in one place. And Functional Medicine with Dr. Robbins brings it all together. Listen Thursdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome back to Able Active Moms. Have a question for Jeremy or his guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5792. That's 866-472-5792. Now back to the show. Welcome back, and thank you for listening to today's episode. We're covering bone health, the lifespan of bone health. And we have with us uh, Dr. Deborah Cotto. Thank you again for joining to talk today. And right before break, we were talking about bone health and muscle health and fitness and really what you have to worry about. You have to worry about breaking things and if you don't fall down, you don't break things. And that has a lot to do with our vestibular system, our balance, and um, our muscular system, how well we support ourselves. And this brings up an interesting topic that I would, or interesting question I'd like to, so, to point out. I have ended up with a lot of clients because I deal with people with issues, rehabilitation sort of. And I've had a lot of people who have I've ended up with because they found out that they had bone health issues. And then the thing you're supposed to do is go lift really heavy things to increase your bone density. And so they went and lifted really heavy things and they tore labrums in their hips and they tore rotator cuffs and they da, 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 da. And Really, we want you not to fall. And yes, we want you to increase bone density, but maybe maybe that's not the first takeaway is that I have poor bone density and I immediately need to like load up my system to help increase my bone density, right? What's like what is your what what is your advice to people at that point? I bet it is not to go and start doing deadlifts. That's my guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, <laughs> I'd like to take an individual approach because uh, people are very different, right? So you tell some people will take what you say and then go above and beyond to try to change your behavior to improve something. Um, And I guess, again, I'm going to derive from my patients who have lived long and hearty lives. And, And I think that the key to... What I've learned is that moderation is good and that listening to your body is really, really important. So if you're someone who's already an experienced dead weight lifter and someone tells you and you know what you're doing, then I'm not going to tell you not to deadlift weight, but I would say don't you know, listen, listen to your body and 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 start slow and don't try to kill yourself. 
Uh, because injury, if you have an injury while trying to improve yourself, it is simply a setback to where you want it to go. And so if someone has never had any instruction, likewise, that's probably if you have the resources is to encourage to get help with someone who knows what they're doing to talk to you about proper spinal alignment, body alignment, weight bearing, and all those things um, before you undertake a new exercise program. And the good thing is there's more and more literature, it seems to be coming out by the day, that just walking is good for you. It is a weight-bearing exercise, and the more steps you walk, it seems like there's there's not much harm in that, especially if you don't fall down. That's but a lot right. of people, what I find is that they're active, but they don't pay particular attention to balance. So you're right, um, Jeremy, in that you talked about the vestibular system, and which is the middle ear that helps us know where we are in space. But there's also, you know, something we call proprioception, where our feet, we just have nerves that tell us where we are. And then our eyes also orient us in space. And then there's a fourth thing that I like to think about, which is just mindfulness. Like, don't be, people say I'm clumsy. Well, don't be clumsy. If you know you're clumsy, Put your mind to it. Be live in the moment and don't trip on the uneven sidewalk. Pay attention to where you're going. Slow down a little. Be a little more present, yeah. maybe. Maybe that's what the problem yeah, is. Exactly. Yes. I love the walking note. That was actually a note that I've stuck up somewhere that uh, I wanted to know your opinion on that. So I'm very happy to hear that just just starting to take on that activity can be really impactful and really promote change again. Um, because... One thing that, and this is, I know that this is a, an area of expertise for you, one thing that can be linked to aging and osteoporosis is hyperkyphosis. And that's an excessive rounding of the thoracic spine. We start to hunch over more, we start to head be more forward, shoulder spine be more rounded over. And if that is a position you're starting from, um, and you can feel free to talk about the complications of that position as far as disc and vertebral health. But if that is a position you're in, your first goal should not be to load your system, but should actually be to try to make as many changes into that alignment shape, that postural shape that you can. Um, how do we get you more mobile and and your and your breath better and, and your thoracic better so that you can just be more vertical um, and walk? Be more vertical, walk, work on your balance. That will also help your balance. Yes. So I'm I'm sure you have I would love to hear everything you have to say about hyperkyphosis and osteoporosis. <laughs> so yes. So it turns out that hyperkyphosis, which is that forward curvature of our thoracic spine, is also somewhat thought to be gen uh, genetically inherited, whether you're female or male. And the thing that is um almost most um, surprising about it when I first started studying this in the late 1990s is that some of the times the people who are the most hunched over don't have evidence of osteoporosis or spine fractures. But clearly, spine fractures, if you talk to most doctors, are the main reason why people become bent over. So if you have it, you want to make sure you don't have osteoporosis. But an additional um, important part, again, and we've already talked about this, is muscle. Muscle and core strength really support the spine, the ligaments, having flexibility in the ligaments, and the discs as well. So all of those factors can affect the postural curve of your spine. And you're exactly right, Jeremy. Um, my colleague, Dr. Wendy Katzman, has actually done trials funded by the NIH or National Institutes of Health that has shown that um, people over the age of 55 or so upwards into their 80s, if they did three times a week back exercise um, strengthening type of things to work on posture and core, they actually improved their spinal curvature. And um, the work that I've done has shown, yes, you're right, Jeremy, that it, it, this kind of curvature, forward leaning, is associated with increased risk of falling. It's associated with increased um, fractures. And in men and women, associated with increased risk of earlier death even. So posture, wow. when, you, when your mom tells you to stand up straight, <laughs> you better start listening. And, just, uh, and I've given lectures um, 
a lot on this topic and you can see how people listening in the audience they automatically start sitting up straighter <laughs> in their chairs so even just that self-reminder of where is your posture right now as you're standing in the line at a grocery store how are you standing um are you is your weight equally distributed are you aware of your core is your head held up straight and you're not staring down at the ground all of those things so for those busy moms and dads in the 30s these are things that you can just be aware of your body in space when you're so busy chasing around everything else. Um, getting up from a desk, working your muscles, working your spine, working your balance. And doing it again, earlier the better, but it's also never too late to make these changes. Not really. There's always uh, there's always some room for progress. But you made a couple of interesting points. One of them being um, one of the things I, I'd love to give out to people is uh, fitting things into the moments in life, right? Uh, standing in line at the grocery store, um, brushing your teeth, chopping vegetables, like all these like little moments we have. What are you doing here? How are you standing? Are you slumped sideways? Are you actually standing straight ahead? Turn your feet straight ahead. Look straight, stand up nice and straight, and then go back to your task because I'm a huge fan of carryover. You know, I teach fitness, but you don't make changes in your hour with me. You make changes in the habits that you change in your life. So we're teaching you tools to carry away. So I love the idea of kind of tagging a something that occurs in your life to a shift in awareness and a shift in posture or alignment or whatever it is. So thank you for that. That's wonderful. Um, the other thing is uh, interesting. I just want to bring this. Do you find that there is some kind of connection, often there is a shift in posture during pregnancy, um, and then potentially that shift in posture in pregnancy never recovers. You know, that there are changes in alignment and those change in alignment carry through? I, I think that depends. Um, I wouldn't say it's a necessary rule. It certainly can happen for sure. Um, you know, so it's amazing the female anatomy, what we accommodate when we carry a child to birth amazing. and the changes in the pelvic anatomy and the ligaments and the tendons, all of those things, because of the changes in hormones to support that developing baby do become more lax. So you can imagine that there would be potentially changes in posture. And it's not talked about very much, but there is also a condition called osteoporosis of pregnancy. So some women are predisposed to really, you know, putting all their body's resources to the developing baby at the expense of their own skeleton. But fortunately, um, more work out of the UK to study, study this, but those things can be reversible. So, and but the hard part is that when I see patients like this, you know, who've even fractured while pregnant and really are having a, a, a an ill effect on their skeleton and say, one thing that has been shown is that if you stop breastfeeding, which is like terrible with a La Leche League and everything about breastfeeding, <laughs> <laughs> it just makes the mom who's so new feel so guilty. But for their own health, it might be an indication to help their skeleton to not be breastfeeding for so long. Um, and you have to find that happy medium for each individual. But that being said, you know, I grew up um, in the 60s when breastfeeding was thought to be a terrible thing. And it was one of those formula fed babies. Um, and thus far, knock on wood, you know, <laughs> major health problems. So formula isn't the worst thing, but uh, it's, you know, currently, you know, breast milk feeding is great, but I'm just saying it for the, it's a very rare condition, but it can happen for women. So what you're describing at, you know, with pregnancy, Yes, there can be changes, but oftentimes after you get through, they're totally reversible. Yeah, interesting, great, and and then again, even in later life, all of these things are completely manageable, right? Improve your posture, improve your balance, use medications. Yes, anything else to add to yes. this? Nutrition. Yeah. So in a younger person, I guess for a younger person who if they're facing uh, because nobody expects it in a younger person, that's when you have to be kind of the squeaky wheel and your own advocate to say, oh, gosh, I'm really worried about my bone health. Maybe I should be checked out and not be written off. 
But on the same hand, uh, probably if possible, I mean, I you know, sometimes the medications are appropriate in a younger population. But again, most people can recover from a fracture. So it's really about this image of the downward spiral. Should you have multiple vertebral fractures leading to worse kyphosis in the hip fracture and then the nursing home and then goodbye? You know, it, those are the things that people are worried about. But for, for many, many people, even into their 90s, I think I just saw a guy who was uh, 95, who had a hip fracture at 90 and is still living independently. So it doesn't mean it's the end of the game, um, but it's something you have to address. And we have medications to help really do that. So I have a lot of patients who've had fractures, get on the medication, fall down again, but thankfully didn't fracture a second time or Wonderful. a second hip. Yeah. Um, thank you so much. Because that's overall what I really wanted to get in today is, is that um, bone health is more than a number on your scan. Um, it is a lifestyle. It is a picture of your whole health. Um, and that there are so many factors that go into it and so many things that you can do, all these little things you can do to help improve that, to help improve your 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 outcomes. Um, and there are a lot of great resources out there. You're actually also a co-director for the Stanford Longevity Center, which does some interesting things. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And um, um, how else, what, what else would you put out there for people to, as a resource? So I guess we're kind of, our time unfortunately is over to, to discuss, but what, what else would you like to share with people? Well, I think the Society of Women's Health um, got together and they're very, I think there are lots of passion to start screening earlier in life as bone health affects people over a lifespan. There's also the Bone Health um, Osteoporosis Foundation, previously known as the National Osteoporosis Foundation, that has a lot of resources available to people, including practitioners across the United States. And the Stanford Longevity Center, one of my co-directors, Dr. Friedrichsen, is very interested in wellness and has developed a, a whole host of things that focus on wellness, not particularly bone health, but he is a physiatrist who has a lot of good preventative um, uh, resources that should be available through his um, uh, his site on wellness at Stanford. Wonderful. Excellent. Um, well, thank you so much. I, I cannot say how much I appreciate you being here with us today. And thank you for, again, for to Society for Women's Health Research, that's swhr.org, for helping to put all this together, link us up. That was greatly appreciated. And I hope everyone had something interesting to take away from our discussion today. I certainly did. I actually, I learned a lot. I thought it was fantastic. So many thanks to you, Dr. Cotto. Thank you, Jeremy. It was a pleasure to be here. Thank you. And thank you to everyone for listening in. And I hope you will be back next week when my mom is going to be on to talk about how she was active her whole life and raised a healthy and active family. I mean, we're relatively healthy and active, you know. Um, so that's <laughs> going to be next week's topic for our final uh, episode for the podcast. So I hope you'll listen in and until then, have a healthy and happy week. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Able Active Moms. We hope the moms out there have learned something useful to help them with their own lives. Until we talk again, have a fantastic week.